Acts chapter 15. I will be reading Acts chapter 15, verses 30 through 41. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inspired, historical word to our minds and to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, your word is instructive. It's enlightening. And by the Holy Spirit, it's penetrating to our hearts, our souls, our dispositions. I pray that you be doing that work here and subsequently from this passage in our lives to the glory of your name that we would be seen to be your disciples, Lord Jesus, by our love that we show each other. Do it, O Lord. Amen. And amen. There are very many. There's a good percentage of people who fall in love, get married in the first year, Two or three were just tension-free bliss. I know it's not everybody. I, I know a lot of people. But it's just that way. And sometimes an older couple comes up to that new couple and says, that's great. Okay, but, you know, give it time. Okay. Give it time because over the next number of decades, there may be some valleys. There may be some clashes between you two, personality differences, differences of opinion on raising children, on what to do with money, and you see the world differently. It's probably coming because you're different persons. You have small and big 
differences of perception, of opinions. Now, in some ways, marriages like that mirror the saved sinner being married to the church, to other saved sinners. Often it's the joy of coming to Christ and there's this honeymoon stage for, for many believers. The, the, the newfound community of Christ. And we all know that we're called to love one another. And so is the married couple. Meaning, not just when everything is going sweet and easy. But when you don't feel like loving your spouse, that brother, that sister. Like every single one of us in this room, we're sinners. Like married couples, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. But in life in general, we know what it is to get frustrated with another to be perturbed, to be sinfully angry. Because what is so blasted obvious to me, she doesn't see. He doesn't see. They have a different opinion. And I can't persuade them. It doesn't sound real super spiritual, but the reality is this, after almost 40 years of being a Christian, and here it is, let's just admit it, sometimes we Christians just don't like other Christians. Because their personalities, their quirks, we just find annoying, hard to deal with, and so we try to avoid them. And of course we know that our personalities, our dispositions in life, the way God has made us and our growth, we know that we're right. <laughs> and if they differ, it's easy. We know what category they go into. They're wrong. This reality in marriage and in the church is important to realize, to face, to grow through instead of run from. First and foremost, because the command to love one another is the second great commandment according to Jesus, which is intricately tied to the first commandment to love God with all of our hearts. And his beloved apostle John wrote to the church, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen and encountered their personalities cannot love God whom he is not seen. Now, in light of that, in loving one another, this week I, I was struck in my study of this passage of how wonderful the Bible is. And what I mean by that is, 
how merciful, how gracious, how kind the Holy Spirit is to us to have Luke be so real in letting us know what happened. With these two mature Christian men, leaders, sincere lovers of Jesus, faithful, Butting heads. So that it caused them to say, we can't work together now. This was a clash of two distinct Christian persons with two different personalities, makeups, having to part ways in their ministries. And the reason that's wonderful for us, that means there's probably hope for all of us in our Christian experiences. Verse 36, And after some days, Paul, he said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas says, that's great. But Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from each other. And Luke, he just leaves it there. It would have been fantastic if he said, after a few days, Barnabas and Paul's tempers cooled down. They repented. I went over the line maybe a little bit there. My frustration with you. Would you forgive me? Yes, would you forgive me? And hugged each other's necks and everything was really good again. He 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 doesn't say that here. Now, over time, there's other hints down the road through Paul's epistles that, look, Paul had and he kept a respect for Barnabas in his work, in his ministry, and evidently Barnabas towards him, that there was no lingering bitterness. They didn't go off their separate ways and say, hey, you know, we split up because he's a jerk. Seemingly, that's not what they did. But what Luke does explicitly tell us here is that this clash, it led to the disintegration of their close working relationship as preachers and teachers and leaders. And right at this point, Barnabas falls away from the scene in the book of Acts. Never to be heard about Again, through the rest of the narrative. Now, so let's go to this painful encounter and try to learn some things about real life, about the real Christian life, without trying to over-spiritualize our lives. Go back to verse 30, where we left off last time. 
So when they were sent off, remember, they had the Jerusalem council, now they're sent off out of Jerusalem. They went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter that the council wrote together. And when they had read it, the Gentiles there, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were sent from the Jerusalem church to confirm the letter, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Months go by. And seemingly, therefore, months later, Paul says, Barnabas, come on, let's go back to all those cities that we just saw in the first missionary journey. And out of that came such a, a different vision that Barnabas had from Paul and vice versa that they had to separate and go their own ways in ministry. Now, I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say, I'm going to assume Paul and Barnabas Barnabas probably at least 20 years in as a Christian now. Paul's pushing it. 16, 17 maybe. I'm going to say they're probably pretty spiritually mature men. If so, therefore spiritual maturity does not change basic personality differences. Bents that cause us sinners to have trouble. It is naive to think that serious, Jesus-loving Christians will never have heated differences with each other. And one reason why is clear. Because Barnabas and Paul and we are being sanctified. God likes that. We are sinners who are saints. And every one of us has been molded by our DNA that God gave us. Our natural bench. If you've got enough kids, you start to realize, you know, that's not nurture there. That's nature. It came out like that. And then there's nurture. There's culture. And we're different. And that means we all come as a whole package. If you're not married in here yet, always before you say I do, be real about the other and say, I love this aspect of them and I love that aspect of them. You don't just get aspects, you get the whole package. You get the whole person. You get the whole personality. Can you take the whole package? Word for the wise. But in life, we all come. And so does Paul. And so does Barnabas. As whole packages. Which means, with their great things, if you really like, 
with their strengths and often with their corresponding weaknesses. That's why we're so desperate to walk by the Spirit and to not be conformed to the natural inclinations that are sinful or will lead us into that. But that's the reality that we live in. It's the reality that Paul and Barnabas as sinners who were saints lived in until the resurrection in the future unto glory. That old rhyme remains true today. To dwell above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with the saints we know, (laughs) well, that's a different story. Paul and Barnabas, they could not see eye to eye on whether to take Mark on this follow-up missionary journey. And they didn't just come to a disagreement. They came to a sharp disagreement. Now think about it. This is not a theological issue. They both theologically are on the same page. They agree. They're doing battle for the gospel. They just a few months ago came from the Jerusalem council over the core of the gospel against false teaching. They agree theologically. But now comes a practical matter. And they clashed big time over it. Why? I think the older you get, right Bob? Maybe? The older you get? (laughs) You can say maybe a little bit more from my life experience. Because you got more. Here's, here's, here's what I think. And you don't have to buy it, but I think, why is it that, that they clash? They love Jesus. They're praying. They agree theologically. And they couldn't get this issue together. They saw it very differently. The only answer I can really think of is that they are different persons. Or personalities. Sometimes very different, therefore, perceptions, emphasis, strengths, weaknesses. This is a practical issue of gospel ministry. And it has to do with another real human being, Mark. And these two men just could not agree. So much so, it ended. They're working together in evangelism and in missions and in pastoral work. Both Barnabas and Paul were passionate for doing the will of God. They didn't wake up thinking, I don't really want to serve God today. And not only that, their passion to do the will of God is what is driving both of them in their positions that differ. Paul and Barnabas, remember, so we have the context. They had a long history so far at this point in working together. After the great persecutor of the church, Paul gets saved and eventually gets back to Jerusalem 
The whole church is freaked out and afraid of him. And it was Barnabas who sought him out. And the friends who were with Paul from Damascus. And said, Paul, tell me your story. And he heard from the others about the witness. He said, this is real. Paul is really saved. And he's the one who introduced him to the other apostles. And, and to the elders in the church. It was Barnabas who reached out. Then, years later... Barnabas, while he's in Antioch, realized we need more help. And he goes all the way to Tarsus looking for Paul and persuades him, come with me back to Antioch. We need you to be one of us preaching and teaching in this church. God's doing a work. And Paul goes and they serve there for well over a year. And then it was the Holy Spirit who set apart Barnabas and Paul for that first missionary journey. Both of them had a pastoral heart for the well-being of these new churches that they had planted. And that, that is the very context of this disagreement. Verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And then these two distinct persons clashed because they approached a particular practical matter from their own particular makeups, personalities. And unless you think Paul and Barnabas are not like the rest of us Christians, the friction that happened with personalities can very easily then fall into sin. Stubbornness. Judgmentalism. Verse 37. Now Paul, excuse me, now Barnabas, he wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Who was right? Luke was a very close friend of Paul's. And so when he writes this years later, he does not blame Barnabas. And he doesn't blame Paul. And he doesn't praise Barnabas and he doesn't praise Paul. He just leaves it in its messiness. The differences of those two that caused them to separate. Now, I think both of them are right in this sense. They both had good points. And they both may have been wrong in that their sin or they became overly 
critical of each other. We'll see, I think. That, that, that stubbornness of, I'm not going to move. So for, what do I mean? I think they both had a point, but two very different human beings made up differently. Paul, he's a macro thinker. It's very easy for Paul to forget the trees. For the forest. He's a forest guy. He looks to the big picture of missions being done in very dangerous territories. And, and so, like a general, Paul's this guy. We don't need someone on our team who is going to turn tail and run when the enemy fire gets going. And he already saw Mark. Do that. And he says, no. Uh-uh. Let's pause for a moment. Remember Mark? He was introduced in chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, not the last time, but the time before that, bringing with them John, who was called, other name was Mark. And then on the first missionary journey, we read this in chapter 13, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, that's the island of Cyprus, and then they came to the mainland, to Perga and Pamphylia. And John left them. That's Mark. Our Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Mark left them. And returned to Jerusalem. So Paul's got a point. And Barnabas says, Paul, I know, but give Mark a second chance. Come on. And Paul says, No. You don't get it, Barnabas. It's not about Mark. Or you. Or me. It's about the gospel mission. Not about the individual soldier. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. No. He's a macro thinker. Barnabas, on the other hand, he, he had a personality. They did not lose sight of the tree the forest. Each tree is easily precious to Barnabas. No wonder his nickname is the son of encouragement. So, so Barnabas, he was right in seeing, yes, undeveloped potential in Mark, who, who is his cousin, and he says, look, get a second chance. God's going to work. He's not done with him yet. And so Barnabas easily extends grace to Mark in spite of his previous mistake of abandoning the mission earlier. And there's a sense in which history proved Barnabas to be insightful, to be right about Mark. 
And Paul himself would eventually admit it. This is what Paul writes a number of years later in Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, because he's with Paul when he writes, and Mark, who's also with him. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And then, the last letter we have of Paul, before his execution, he writes this in 2 Timothy 4.11. Timothy, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's very useful to me for ministry. So both men were right in that they both had good points. But their unique personalities led them, therefore, to see this situation very differently from the other. They're looking through a different looking glass and it didn't jive with the other. And it is often in that context in, in marriages and just in church life itself. Those are the opportunities for us to be sinful Stubborn. But we feel this. Barnabas feels this. Barnabas knows. I am, he's not anybody else. He's not Paul. He's himself. He's trying to serve the Lord. He has to be true to himself. His convictions. He, 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 he is endeavoring to be true to Christ. And so is Paul. So is Paul. And they both felt so strongly on their particular viewpoints, there was no conceding to the other. So the sin may have been their stubbornness that led to the, quote, sharp disagreement. Now, that translates one word in the original, in the Greek. Paroxysmos. Really, over this issue, they provoked one another. And, and I do think that's Luke's point. I think his point is, they both crossed the line in their sinful anger. Now, I can't prove it, other than the strong use of this word. In Luke's writing this, I, this is what I think. I think Paul, reflecting back on that, telling Luke, was over. He crossed the line. Our anger turned into sin and not mere difference. And Luke just uses this very strong word, lets us know what happened, and he goes on with his story. For instance, let me read for a moment from one major commentator on the book of Acts, Daryl Bach. 
he writes, there arises a major contention between Paul and Barnabas about what to do with John Mark. The term paroxysmos, when used negatively, describes anger, irritation, or exasperation in a disagreement. This word is also used of God's wrath and of how Paul was provoked, oh, same word, provoked by the idols he saw there in Athens. The uses for God's wrath show how strong in force the term can be. This is a major disagreement. End quote. So I think what we see in this situation is what we all know to be true in our own lives. And that is this. A person's strengths are also the occasion for the exposure of their weaknesses. Paul's strength was clearly, we know Paul real well, right? Better than we know Barnabas. His strength is just the dogged determination to spread the message of Christ no matter the cost. You can stone him. You can whip him. You can beat him. You can throw him into jail. But you cannot stop him as long as he's breathing from preaching Christ. That's the Paul God created with his makeup. Paul's weakness Along with that is his struggle, almost an inability to accept and to work with a weaker man like Mark, who just wasn't quite ready yet, had more work to do before one day you'll say he's very useful to me. Barnabas, on the other hand, his greatest strength was his ability to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak. He was that positive coach of the outsider, of, of the failure. Get up, let's go. He was quick to extend grace to those who needed to be encouraged and comforted. He leaned that way. That was easy. For him, which also leads to Barnabas's weakness to fail to confront when people are over the line and they need to be confronted. Like we read in the book of Galatians when Paul lets us know Barnabas. When these men from that Christian sect out of the Jerusalem church come up to Antioch, Barnabas was eating bacon sandwiches, eating Gentile food, no problem. They came up knowing, ooh, better let them not me see do that. Barnabas starts to just change his behavior. He didn't want any falling out with them. We're okay. And Paul essentially calls him a hypocrite. And he did it publicly. Because Barnabas crossed the line when he should have confronted these guys. So one lesson for all of us. 
from this, I think, is this. I didn't create this, and you, you'll know it. That's why I say it. Know yourself. It's a good thing to grow and understand yourself. Know where you're strong, and therefore you know your weaknesses. Where you're not strong. For instance, a person may be just naturally, supernaturally, however you want to put it, gifted by God with the gift of discernment. There are people like that, have this strong gift of discernment. Shake your hand once and it's like, for some reason they read you. They know all about you. It's a wonderful strength. Wives can really protect husbands when they say, ah, <laughs> don't, don't, don't trust this person. But that gift of discernment could easily fall into the sin of judgmentalism. Or one, one who is very strong in mercy and, and grace and in interpersonal relationships, they may more easily err by tolerating serious sin and doctrinal error. Or, or one who is just naturally gifted in problem solving. The engineers and the math Meticians, etc. We just got this all figured out. It's a great strength. It's really needed in life. But they may forget there are real human beings with real feelings and real stories out there when we're trying to fix problems. Okay, on and on and on. God brings two people together in marriages. And he brings all of us believers together in local churches. And he brings us together with different, sometimes very different, dispositions, personalities, the way we, 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 we intake the world and interpret and form opinions, etc., and all of them in marriages and in churches have strengths. And with those have corresponding weaknesses. The strengths, when they're used to the glory of God, they're beautiful. But they all come with warning signs. Pothole ahead. Know where you're weak. Don't let the weakness turn into sinning. Those are not necessarily the same. And the great news about this passage in the Bible is that means God uses messed up people, broken people, imperfect people, like Noah. Yeah, he was righteous. You want to compare him to the rest of his generation? Read what happened after the ark landed on land. Or Abraham. The man of faith sure was. God saved him sovereignly. Read of his blunders. And much I, do I need to mention David? A man after God's own heart. Really? Yeah. He uses broken people like Paul. And Barnabas. And us. God made every one of us unique. Know your strengths. Know your giftings and know the weaknesses that come with them in order that we will know in our own lives how to walk by the Spirit in order not to let those be.
potholes we fall or drive into in sin. I mean, for instance, think about our passage here. If in, in, in reading this passage of this conflict between Barnabas and, and, and Paul, these two godly men, if you find yourself easily cheering Paul on, then it's probably because he's much closer to your personality, your natural bent, your CEO type A personality. Of course you're going to cheer him on. But what you really really need is not therefore to how do I be a forest guy you need to think about it it's easy for you you need to learn from Barnabas that there are real living feeling hurting individual persons out there who have potential like Mark if when you when you see these guys in this conflict you find yourself yes cheering on Barnabas And it's probably because you have very similar personality mix. Like Barnabas. You connect with people well. You go deep and you get into the nitty gritty of their lives. And you feel their pain very easily. But you also need to learn from Paul. That you don't go over the line out there. Because there is such a thing as truth that is objective. There are standards in life. You may need to draw a line in the sand in order to confront someone whom you proclaim you really love for their sake in your interpersonal relationships. So when you feel personality clashes with other Christians, which, unless you abandon Christ's church, but live in the organic family of church life, you will encounter. God wants you to. When they come, don't abandon Christ's body. Persevere through them and allow God to grow you in them. The body of Christ is not formed like cliques are in high school. It's not formed by choosing your own peer group. That their personalities really mesh and mash, uh, go with yours. And you, you share worldly affinity with. Easy to get along. That's not what the church is. But it's based upon the miracle of new birth that brings a cultural Jew together with a pagan Gentile. And says, now love one another. Forgive one another. The church is God placing all the members in the church and into Christ. Even though, naturally speaking, they may have almost nothing in common. But where it really matters, they have everything in common. Christ. That's why God loves it. When an 83-year-old woman who loves Jesus and has been loving Him for the last 72 years is put together with a 22-year-old single man who has just come to Jesus and they have Christ in common and stuff to learn from each other. Nothing worldly in common. 
This is the body. He brings together people from different ethnicities, and backgrounds, and family of origins, and cultures. And he puts introverts into the same body as extroverts. One is gifted very strongly with the gift of compassion and empathy. And the other is gifted very strongly with the gift of, of logic and standards and truth. They both actually desperately need each other. In that context, Jesus says, You people who worldly speaking should never have found each other, should never have been grouped together, I bring you together so that the world may know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. So when we clash with fellow Christians, don't assume, well, I guess that's not in God's plan. Assume this, because it is. It is very much God's plan for our growth. And when we believers or husband or wife, when we clash with one another, and you're just so different, you try to persuade them and you get frustrated, don't assume the worst. Well, Barnabas, he just doesn't really care about spreading the gospel and the mission. Caught up in Mark. Don't assume the worst. Paul did. And neither did Barnabas. He didn't. Assume the worst that Paul is just jerk. Paul is just an unfeeling, uncaring person about the growth of that tree and that person. Don't assume the worst just because you have a strength that is more naturally easy for you than for me. Who needs to repent if it's sin? And to walk in the fruit of the Spirit and grow in that area. Many times, it's just that we are different. And so I close with the Apostle John. Beloved, in all of our differences, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Let's pray. Father, I, I am deeply assured 
that in marriage, in conflict with brothers and sisters, none of us at those times feel like praying, yes, bring it on, Lord. We don't like it. But we do know the fruit of such as you have been merciful and gracious to your children. And so my prayer is that for all of us, all of us here at Sovereign Grace, that you would continue to be merciful in growing us through relationships and pain where you confront our sin. You work on us and you grow us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.